Hi guys, this is Mr. V, um, and I want to welcome you to V Science Podcast. Um, it has been a little bit extra time this this uh, time before we did another recording, and um, unfortunately, because of social distance, distancing, um, I'll be you'll just kind of have to listen to me for this one. Um, and of course, I wanted to take some time and talk about the topic of the moment. Um, the um, topic of the moment right now is the coronavirus, or COVID-19, or the uh, technical name for it is uh, SARS-CoV-2, which is um, the uh, actual type of virus that it is. So um, one of the things I did is, um, you know, we're not able to be in contact anymore. There are cases all over the uh, world right now, and the country, and it's uh, something that's growing. And that's not, not something that's going to be stopped anytime soon. Um, so I wanted to take some time and kind of ask my students and find out what they were interested in. So I sent uh, some messages out on Remind and Twitter to let them know, you know, um, what do you want to know about this virus? Um, what's what the situation that you're thinking of and how are we going to be able to, to handle this? So, um, a couple of days ago, I sent that message out, talked to my students um, via Remind and Twitter and things like that, and um, they were able to give me quite a bit of good questions, and I wanted to kind of just give you the background of everything, because there's so many news sources, right? You see stuff online, you see things on TV, you know, we're all at home if we're following the rules from CDC and World Health Organization, and, you know, there's a lot of information out there, and it's hard to just kind of buckle down and um, understand what it is. And it's a scary time. It really is. I understand that people are freaked out. Um, And I wanted to make sure that, you know, one of the things I care about most is educating people, right? I am going to miss the classroom. We're supposed to start class um, Monday the 23rd. um, And it's something that I am definitely going to miss doing. I I want to be in class. I want to be in front of my students. I would love to be able to field these questions uh, in person and talk to them. And, um, but unfortunately, it's not going to work this time because we're, you know, in the middle of a global pandemic. And, you know, if we want this pandemic to slow down and kind of be more um, or less um, damaging to our society and to our health, then we have to follow these rules. So what I decided to do this week is um, take some time and, do some research. Um, that's one thing I do have a lot of time for. Um, school has been out for spring break and we haven't been able to do much. And now things are buckling down even more. You know, you've got lockdowns in major states. Um, you've got cases all over the country. And, you know, as of this recording, there's at least one case in Hidalgo County where we live and, um, and at least six cases in Cameron County, the uh, neighboring county to the uh, east of us. So, it's something that is happening, not just around the world now, but locally. And of course, you have questions. People are, there's information everywhere. And so I wanted to kind of try to help and be the source. And one of the things that I really love doing is um, gathering information and trying to give the right information to people. So that's going to be what this podcast is about today. Um, so hopefully you'll be able to bear with me and it'll be something that you'll uh, gather quite a bit of info from. So, um, I'm going to kind of break it down and talk about where things are coming from. And, and so we'll see how that goes.
Okay, so let's begin with um, the source of this virus, okay? So this virus uh, has many names, right? It's uh, where everybody's calling it the coronavirus. Um, but actually, coronaviruses are actually a group of viruses. Um, they're RNA viruses, which means that they start off with RNA, and then they switch to DNA, and then they make the RNA proteins to make more viruses. Um, and they're called coronaviruses because most of these viruses tend to have a crown of spikes around them, um, and it surrounds them. And so there's many different types. Um, some of these have been um, around for a long time. They're your common cold viruses. Others have been mutated viruses that have caused some pretty intense respiratory diseases, um, such as SARS, MERS. Okay. Um, so this is just another one of those viruses, and it's a novel virus, meaning that it's new. This is not something the world has ever seen before. Um, and there's, and we're just not sure uh, where it came from. What I will say for sure is that scientists did do research and they found that it is not, I repeat, it is not something man-made. Okay, there have been many rumors on social media about, oh, well, this came from China to attack as a biological weapon or that this came from the United States and the army and that was something that Chinese media was pushing around. Well, scientists got down to it and they sequenced the genome of this virus, okay? And so um, you can look at the genome. Viruses tend to have very small genomes because they're you know, not really living organisms. They are um, particles, right? It's protein, usually with some sort of an extra capsid in this case, as well as the genetic material. And so they sequenced it and it's very small. Um, it's like 30 kilobases or 40 kilobases in length. And they looked at it against seven other coronaviruses. And they really were focusing on the spike proteins, okay? Those are those, if you've seen the pictures of coronavirus, it's usually this big circle with a bunch of spikes. And, um, well, they sequenced it and they looked at the um, uh, genetic codes that make those proteins. And, well, they looked at how humans would be able to engineer that in a lab, okay? In a lab, if you were gonna engineer those proteins, there are certain ways you could do it. If we were going to do it, what these scientists did is they used uh, mathematics and they looked at it and said, well, is there a way that, um, that um, you know, nature could have evolved this and all of the ways that we found that could be ways to make these proteins were not something that nature could do, right? So they looked at it, they said, okay, well, if we make it, then nature can't make it this way. And then they sequenced the actual COVID-19 virus. And it turns out we were wrong. Nature does better and it is actually a product of evolution. So um, it could not be something that um, it would be able to attach to human cells unless it were made a certain way. And it just is not made the way we think. So it's actually something that evolved that way. So I can help you debunk that right now. It is definitely not a man-made virus. Unfortunately, the way that it... Um, did come into the world was probably because of man okay so there's two different scenarios that scientists looked at and the likely way is that it was two things either it was a um, pathogen already it was already something that was bad for a certain species and um, it jumped to humans so you know you've heard i'm sure on social media that it was some sort of a bat right um that somebody was eating a bat and that's how it went and that's not how it goes it's actually um, not that way, but one of the ways we think is that maybe it was already a pathogen and 
somehow the saliva or the blood of a bat may have come into contact with a human and then it became pathogenic uh, for humans as well. It jumped to us, right, through genetic means. Um, and the other way that's also likely is that it was non-pathogenic, right, um, and then it jumped over to humans and became pathogenic. So in this case, the other species that we're thinking about is likely the pangolin. Okay, pangolin is like this armadillo-looking uh, mammal, and unfortunately, it's very highly traded in the um, uh, illegal trade around the world. And so, um, the thought is that maybe it was at one of these markets um, in China in an illegal trade market, and you know, because of the uh, thoughts behind Eastern medicine uh, and what pangolin could do, it was slaughtered, and that somebody either had a cut or some of the blood got into someone's uh, respiratory system, and that's how it jumped over to humans. So, um, and actually the earliest cases were in China in uh, November. The World Health Organization was getting reports of a pneumonia-like case, right? So there was an upper respiratory infection. Um, and so that's something that people were looking at and seeing as early as November. And now we're here in March, and um, now it's a global pandemic. So it, unfortunately, we did not, I can promise you this, we did not make the virus, um, but our actions probably contributed to the virus. So, um, you know, that's something that is a discussion that's also being had and amongst all the other things being had online and um, in social media now. But um, that that's something that we think is the probable, or that scientists think is the probable or origin of this. So um, now we talk about how people get sick, right? So now the virus has been in the human population. Um, it's swept through. There's so many global cases right now. Um, and so how does it happen? Well, it's an upper respiratory virus. So the way it works is it infects your sinuses. Um, it can get into your eyes, your trachea. And so, you know, one of the things that doctors are saying and CDC and World Health Organization is that we need to wash our hands and not touch our faces because that's the easiest way for it to travel in our own system. So if you touch a surface where this virus is still alive, you get it on your hands. You know, humans touch their faces without knowing it, something anywhere between 40 to 60 times a minute. Um, you know, uh, and so, or not a minute, probably longer than that, sorry. Um, but we touch our faces very constantly and without even thinking about it. And so if we do that, then we can end up spreading the disease that way. Um, and so... It travels in the droplets, right? A cough or a sneeze, right? This tends to, the symptoms of this virus tend to not show a lot of um, runniness, but whenever we do cough or sneeze, that gets into the aerosol or into the droplets. And if those droplets end up, you know, if you don't cover when you cough, that ends up in somebody's uh, breathing space. And so they can get sick. Uh, now, one way it does not travel, this is one of the questions from my students was, um, can it travel through mosquitoes? Well, these viruses do not live in the guts of mosquitoes or ticks um, because once they get into the gut, they, they're not really able to replicate and they quote unquote die, right? So you don't get sick that way. So that's why we don't get cold viruses as well from a mosquito bite, right? It has to be through those aerosol droplets and they have certain number of hours they can live on certain surfaces. Um, you know, if you're talking about um, plastic or steel, that's when they can last the longest. They can live up to three days, 
Okay, um, so you know that's why they've been we've been told to clean those high contact surfaces. You know, think about um, a handrail on the stairs, right, or a railing on a uh, one of these ways this traveled around the world was through airports. You know, if you're thinking about an escalator, people put their hands on the escalator, they lean on it, and how often does that get cleaned before? You know, so that can be up to three days on plastic and steel, um, a few hours on copper, um, and then in the air, on the aerosols, when it's airborne, the thought is that it can live up to two or three hours. So, you know, it's something that um, can be pretty infectious for people, right? Now, as for the symptoms, right, how does this end up traveling? Well, the symptoms are semi-flu-like, but they're not completely flu-like, right? Um, mainly the ones that people have been noticing are fever, okay, some sort of a dry cough usually, and then starts to be a shortness of breath, okay, this this is where the um, COVID-19 tends to be a really bad virus, it causes shortness of breath, it can lead to pressure in the chest, um, and so that's usually how people get these extreme sicknesses for, or these extreme symptoms from the virus, right? Now, the thing about this and why it's so critical that we send the message out to people is that it's something that we're noticing that um, it's something that can pass on to someone and they may experience little to no symptoms. Some people are experiencing some headaches some fatigue and then that's it. But the thing is, they've been infectious, or they can be infectious for anywhere between 2 to 14 days in some cases. So we just don't know as much as we need to. Um, and that's one of those reasons why it's surviving. Now, as for, um, you know, how to defeat the virus, that's where the CDC, World Health Organizations, their best uh, bet is to wash your hands. Okay, wash your hands and... Make sure that you wash them thoroughly for 20 seconds. There have been tons of videos showing you how to wash your hands in order to pay attention to the nails, the thumbs, the palms. Um, so, you know, there's lots of really good resources out there, but that's the number one thing because you can get rid of the virus from there because that tends to be your contact to your face, right? Well, um, you know, and you don't need to have any special soaps, right? Antibacterial soap is not needed. This is a virus, so an antibacterial soap has a little extra chemical in there to kill bacteria. But the thing is, soap itself does the job on its own, okay? Soap breaks down the lipids in the uh, uh, cell membranes, okay? Because remember, uh, cell membrane is all about lipids and that's for even viruses as well, right? So what soap does is it actually separates that glycerol, okay, that chain from the fatty acids and it breaks apart the membrane. You don't need to have an antibacterial soap for that um, the soap you have does it on its own, and so does Germex or other hand sanitizers, right? Those things kill those viruses pretty easily, and also bacteria. The thing you also need to be thinking about is, with antibacterial soap, it's not good for the environment, okay? Some studies have shown that the chemicals in the antibacterial soap, um, typically that's triclosan and others, those actually stay in the water and they're not really filtered out and they can end up hurting indicator species like frogs and others. So, you know, number one is wash your hands. Um, and then of course, if you have hand sanitizer or germix, that helps as well. But soap is the thing that does the best job. And of course now is social distancing, right? You've heard that phrase a ton. The point is just don't 
come in contact with others. The more contact you have, the better chance you are to spread it or to catch it. And then you can then spread it to someone else. And that's the danger. It's not so much the fact of um, you being able to get sick because most of the people who um, uh, get this disease are going to be okay, right? Long-term. Some require more hospitalization, but most people will be okay. It's just unfortunate that this is a kind of a highly virulent virus in certain groups. Okay, and then severity of the illness, right? So I teach teenagers. The students I teach are between the ages of you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, right? And one thing we all know is when you're that age, you feel like you're invincible, right? And um, for whatever reason, we don't actually know, okay? Scientists have been looking into it, but they're just, they're not sure why. But the people who end up with the highest risk of this disease of death and hospitalization tend to be those that are older, okay? People who are 60, 65 and older, and especially those with underlying medical conditions. If you've got heart disease, diabetes, um, one of my students asked me a question about um, uh, a respiratory disease like an asthma. If you have those issues, even if you are younger, you can still get sick with this at a pretty high risk, okay? So don't think that oh, I'm young, I'm gonna be fine. You, know, you can have that, right? And you can have those, sometimes people will have uh, medical conditions they may not know have known about right if you have a heart murmur or something wrong with your uh, aortic arches or something like that that those tubes at the top of your heart those issues can end up hurting you as well right now let's say you're a perfectly healthy 17 18 year old person okay one of my other students carlos was asking about that too if you're perfectly healthy and you run into this issue right well the problem is you may not get sick, but you will likely pass it on to someone who can get sick, right? That's why schools are closed, right? You're not going to have rampant disease in schools, at least as far as we know so far. And the thing is, the downside is, think about those relatives you have, right? If you go to school, someone has the COVID-19 virus, they cough, you pick up their aerosol droplets, and you feel fine. Maybe you get some headaches, a little bit of cough, but then you're fine. But then you go see your grandma, then you go see your uncle who may have diabetes or who may have uh, some sort of an immuno, uh, an immuno disease, right? Like HIV or leukemia or some sort of a cancer. And so those things, those people will then get sick and they are very high chance of getting sick in hospitals and dying, right? So that's one of the things you have to worry about and then of course there's plenty of stories of anecdotal stories of young people who are fully healthy as well and they get sick too okay so just because you are young and you are not likely going to get this disease severely um that doesn't mean that you can't spread it and that doesn't mean that you won't get sick also okay you know you've seen stuff on social media i saw people there was even a politician recently who went on tv and said, you know, this is only going to kill 3.4% of the population. That's not that bad. You know, but when you're talking about a country of like the United States, for example, with 300 million people, right? Um, if you're talking about 3.4%, that's still going to be 
just 3%, is about 9 million people, okay? That's an insane number. So that is not something you're okay with. And that's why schools are closed down. That's why movies are closed down. And that's why, you know, come Monday or in the next few days, you'll be starting school online. Okay. Uh, that's just kind of the long and short of it. Now, one of the other things you've also seen on social media, and when this disease was starting to pick up speed in February and into early March, a lot of people were saying, it's just like the flu. Why don't we shut the world down? Because so many hundred thousand people are dying of the flu. Okay. Well, here's the problem. Okay. It's not so much the problem of, well, you know, some people get mildly sick, they'll be okay. You have a certain number of deaths that you might be okay with, right? The problem is that the hospitalization rate for COVID-19 is about 20%, okay? So you get this disease, you know, 10 people get it, then um, for sure two people will end up in the hospital, roughly. So far the studies have shown, okay? Now, take the seasonal flu. If 10 people get it, there's a 1% chance that one of those persons will end up with the disease, okay? and end up hospitalized with the disease, excuse me, right? So that's really low. So yeah, most people will get the flu. It might get really bad, but very few people will need to actually go to the hospital for it. This is where COVID-19 is so bad. If 20% of the population gets this disease and has to go to the hospital because of it, that's where you hear that phrase, flattening the curve, okay? You've seen it on social media, it's on TV, it's even in commercials now. I've seen it, right? Well, why do we care about this? Okay. When we flatten the curve, you know, I want you to picture in your mind the letter J, right? Capital letter J. When you draw the capital letter J, it starts off, whether you start at the top or the bottom, right? The shape of it is low and flat on the bottom, and then it goes up really sharply, and then it hits that top of the J, okay? Then I want you to think about the letter S. Okay, the letter S starts off going up sharply and then flattening out, okay? We want this disease to be in the shape of a letter S, or actually more of like a little bell, okay? The reason for this is because our hospitals are not very, are, are, are not high in number, okay? So think of it like this. We've got a population of 330 million people. Um, hospitals right now, if they were at zero, zero capacity, right? If there was not already somebody with surgery or with something wrong with their diabetes or something going on um, with other uh, health disorders, we could probably take in this country about 900,000 people onto those beds. Maybe if you wanted to include ICU and extra beds, you could probably take about, mm, about a million people, okay? If you end up with this many people getting sick, there's no way you're going to be able to handle that many people. And that's because most hospitals right now are something at 50 or 60% at capacity already for regular procedures, emergencies, you know, there's a car crash, something like that, right? Or someone has a heart attack. So that's actually what the problem is in Italy. They have not been able to flatten the curve. So they're running out of the machines that they need. They're running out of the beds that they have. And so because of that, you're going to end up with the medical system being overwhelmed, okay? And we just don't have enough hospital beds to handle the people that might get sick. 
okay? Because this thing, uh, this disease, the flu, you typically tend to get one to two people sick. The estimates right now for COVID-19 are somewhere between two to four people getting sick. And it happens to go pretty rapidly. And again, you may have a lot of people who have no symptoms at all. And those who get really sick, the ones that do, will end up in the hospital and we just don't have the beds for them. And not only that, we don't have enough respirators and ventilators, which tend to be something that uh, is needed when they have COVID-19. Okay. And not only that, I mean, just think about the stuff we talk about. You've seen on TV, some doctors, some nurses are having to wear their PPE, their personal protective equipment over and over again. Masks are needing to be reused. We just don't have enough right now. And unfortunately, when you do this, you get people who are medical professionals having to stay right next to the sick people all the time. And what's going to happen? Well, they're going to get sick. So the phrase flattening the curve means you want to make sure that you don't have that J, you have more of a S and then eventually beyond the S that you bring it down to zero, okay, into that bell curve. That would be great, okay? So some estimates for this disease, we're not sure how it's going to happen. Um, you know, they are, right now, the government is recommending if you have a medical procedure that is elective, that you cancel it, okay? Um, they're seeing shortages in masks and gloves and definitely respirators and ventilators in certain parts of the country. And so how is this going to, we're just going to have to start to live with a new normal of if it's not medically necessary, you're going to have to wait. Um, and then when all is said and done, we think that up to 75% of the population could end up getting this disease. Okay. Now, if we had done nothing, if we had just seen this disease start to spread and say, okay, well, whatever, people are going to get sick. The estimate was that 2.2 million people would die in the United States. Okay. Currently, that's not where we're at. Okay. So don't freak out and think, oh my God, Mr. V said 2 million people. Are, no. What's going to happen likely is we're, you know, starting to do mitigation and heavy suppression. States are going on lockdown, right? California, New York is on lockdown. Other states are considering it. If that is the methods that, or those are the methods that we end up using, you're going to end up with a much, much lower curve and it's going to start to flatten it. And we're going to end up with um, much less people getting sick. Now, again, because of our medical system and the way it's designed, hundreds of thousands of people could still get sick and many thousands could die. But if we don't do these things, it's going to be way, way worse. Okay. So that's why, you know, you have to think about this as a ser as serious as you can. Um, it's not something that you can just, you know, joke around about and think about, oh, well, it's not going to affect me. I'm good. This has long-term global implications. So what's the outlook, right? Um, and again, I want to emphasize that all of this that I'm saying is my own opinion from stuff that I have read, done research on. Um, especially lately, I've been looking a lot at Spanish flu of 1918. Okay. So Spanish flu of 1918, the way it worked was the year before, um, in the late spring, they had an outbreak 
uh, of Spanish flu. Then, shortly after that, the summer came, the disease disappeared, but then in the winter, and in the fall and the winter of the next year, that's when it got really bad. Okay, millions of people died, very high population uh, numbers, right? So this is something that um, scientists are leaning towards right now, the way this is looking. Now, some countries have begun to flatten their curve, okay? China, if you believe the reports that they're putting out, they have got a couple of days now with no cases, and their curve is beginning to flatten out, but they had to shut down sections of their country in Wuhan, where it began. Um, South Korea as well, they've also had, they've done mass testing, right? That's really the only way you're going to get through this, is if you increase the testing of people, right? Now, unfortunately, because of the group of viruses that this disease comes from, okay, it comes from the coronaviruses virus group. And so that ends up having uh, relative viruses like MERS or MERS, okay? Um, it has, ends up having relatives like SARS, okay? Now, some diseases like these can become seasonal, like the flu or the cold um, or MERS, right? Now, if it's like the previous SARS virus, okay, that disease um, showed up and then mainly just disappeared, okay? So at this point, we don't know if it will go away completely in the summer months, right? There's hope that the warmer weather won't allow it to live in droplets and on surfaces as much. But unfortunately, you know, there's not much evidence for that right now, okay? So... This is something that's I, I personally don't think will end in a couple of weeks, right? This is something that may go on for a while, right? If you believe some of the um, projections, uh, then it's going to be something that will go on for a few months, likely will die down, but then we'll end up having other cases later on in the year, okay? And this is going to disrupt life, um, you know. Your graduations are coming up if you're a senior this year. Um, some places are not having graduations until the summer, which is probably the safest bet. Um, others, you're going to end up with weddings and even funeral gatherings are technically not allowed if you uh, uh, follow certain guidelines that counties and states are putting together. So this is just not something that um, is going to go away quickly. Now, one thing that people, I think, I think that scientists um, from the CDC and the World Health Organization and governmental uh, agencies are really forgetting is they need to also explain that this is going to be something that we have to deal with the next few weeks, the next month or two, right? But that until there's a, f a full vaccine for it, that we're going to probably have to um, face again, right? Now... Um, for, fortunately, I think we'll learn from this and we'll be able to stop the spread. And then if there's another outbreak later, we'll be able to lock things down quicker, handle it better, because we'll have seen the seriousness of it. But it is something that we need to be prepared for. And so it is going to disrupt life and it's going to be um, not a pleasant ride. Right? And it's, that's, it's just unfortunate, right? It doesn't happen like the movies. You've seen, I'm sure, a million movies a contagion and outbreak where stuff just kind of there's always some awesome scientist that injects themselves with a vaccine they go out into the world and then boom they can save everybody 
But unfortunately, that's not how it works. You have to have a long trial. They did inject someone uh, or some people with vaccines last week. But they need to test and see if those vaccines are going to do what they need to do. Right? They're going to test and find out if um, there's going to be some sort of reaction, if it actually does fight off the virus. And then they need to find out, too, is this vaccine going to be a one-time thing where if you're vaccinated for it, you're good forever? Or um, if it's going to be a seasonal thing that we have to fight off every year um, and maybe take another vaccine for. And that's something that is going to be something we're going to figure out throughout the year. So you know, the world is going to change and it's going to be kind of tough. Um, and I think one thing that's that's really showing is the panic buying, right? People are freaking out. Uh, somebody decided that toilet paper was going to be something that you absolutely needed, which is not true. This disease is a respiratory disease. It is not going to cause any form of uh, diarrhea or any, any, any extreme need for toilet paper. Right. So, um, that's just, I don't know why people get that, but I think probably the best thing I can do is uh, one of my students on Twitter, um, another Carlos asked me, you know, are animals, is there something that animals do that's similar to this behavior? And my, probably the thing that popped up in my mind was hibernation, right? If you have an animal that's about to go into hibernation, they tend to eat a lot. Right? They tend to store and store and store so that they can hunker their body downs and last for a really long winter. Um, and I think that's what people are doing now. You know, We're seeing that stuff is getting crazy, um, that it's getting challenging, and unfortunately we're kind of panicking. And then the other thing too is that when certain individuals start to freak out and overbuy, that leads others to think, well, maybe I'm not buying enough, and they, they go off and they buy more and that's where we end up with issues. So, you know, uh, one thing I will tell you is that we don't need to get to that point. Okay. Um, there are enough groceries, HEBs, Walmarts, Targets, anybody that sells groceries, they have enough. You just have to not buy enough for the next six months. If you can buy for a week or two, that's all you need. You know, it's, it's out there. You'll be fine. The thing is that we're just buying too much. Shelves are running out and that's a psychological effect, right? Um, I can tell you, I've gone to the grocery store a couple times um, to catch a couple things I need um, to get dog food and stuff. And people will look at it and go, oh my God, it's all gone. I need to get as much as I can next time I go out. But you don't need to, right? Uh, that is one thing that I will say about uh, the government and uh, the supply chains of these companies is that they're healthy. We just need to slow down, right? And that's something you have to kind of help um, let people know, right? And if you can do that. So one of the things that I want to kind of leave you with is that we're going to have to adjust, right? This is something that's going to take us time. You know, um, if we have a really awesome, lucky movie moment and somebody comes up with an awesome drug treatment, or a vaccine that really works and this thing goes away or maybe the weather does end up killing the virus more and I end up being wrong I would love for that to happen but you know um, science right now at this moment has shown that you know, we're not as lucky as we would love to be right and so we're gonna have to adjust people are gonna suffer you know some of you 
may be out of jobs. Some of your parents may be out of jobs. People are panic buying and freaking out. Um, and it's understood. People are uh, social animals. And when society starts to uh, you know, freak out a little bit, we all individually tend to freak out. So um, you know, we, we have to try to band together to slow this round of the virus down. And then in the next round, we'll be ready. And I think that if we're successful now, if we can flatten the curve, you know, um, if the government actually does start testing people who are sick and who are healthy, that's what South Korea did. Some parts of South Korea had the same number of cases that we had at the beginning, but they didn't just test those with symptoms. They tested everybody. And if that can occur, then you're going to be then you're going to be able to beat this much quicker than you need right you can start to quarantine those who are sick and these shutdowns won't happen so long and won't be so you know intense right um and unfortunately you know there's going to be consequences to our lives your, your parents might be out of jobs you might be out of jobs the economy is going to be suffering um you know and so it's not something that that is going to be easy, unfortunately. But I think that thing that's going to make it easier for us, and I've seen a lot of it online, I've seen a lot of it uh, with my students, is that we need to know that we're here for each other, right? And I think probably what I feel for the most is I feel for my seniors this year. Um, senior year is supposed to be a time of celebration, right? The prom is supposed to be coming up. Um, testing for AP was supposed to come up. And then graduations, right? You're going to get to wear your cap and gown a million times, give high five to elementary kids and stuff like that. Um, and I feel for those kids. I, um, I think that it's really hard and I feel for the people who are going to have weddings in the next few months and who are going to have to deal with social uh, family gatherings and stuff like that, that we're never, they're not going to be meant to be anymore. And so we're going to have to kind of measure our expectations a little bit and say, well, you know, how is life going to change? Um, but I think one thing I will say is that uh, in this time of social distancing, it's kind of ironic because we're able to see that we're much more of a community, right? We are there for each other, even though we can't physically be there for each other. So I want to finish off with some things you can do to help your community and even the world as we get through this. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> So the first thing is, if you don't have to go anywhere, stay in, right? If it's not an emergency, if you don't have to go for food or medicine, it's not worth it, right? You may not have it, but you may bring it into your home. And I'll give you an example. I live with my mom and my aunt, who are both older people, and they have underlying illnesses. So I worry about them. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Wash your hands, okay? Make sure you're following those rules. Make sure that you're being thorough about that. Um, and then if you can avoid it, don't touch your face. If you have to um, see uh, people and interact with them and be in public, avoid touching your face when you're out doing that stuff. Um, and then if you wanna help the community around you, right? If you have gloves or masks at your house and you're not sick and you don't need them, you should donate them, especially as more cases start to show up, right? If you live in an area where you know doctors, hospitals, 
nurses need this stuff because they're the ones dealing with these sicknesses on a day-to-day -day basis. And then if you're healthy and able to, if there's a location close to you, please try and donate blood. Hospitals will need it. Um, not even just for non-COVID-19 uh, cases, but for non-COVID-19 cases. You know, if someone comes in and there's a car wreck and they need blood, you know, um, if people are staying indoors, they're fearful of doing that, um, please make sure that you, you can. If you, I mean, if you can, please do. That would be great. Um, and I think probably the, the thing that will work the most is try to impress upon people how serious it is. Okay? Social media is full of people who are trying to give bad information or wrong info, or they share stuff to make people panic that may not be true. And the other thing too is people aren't taking anything seriously. Okay? A week ago, we were all like, well, it's spring break. We were, you know, people paid for their trips. They wanted to go and be out in the sun. And I can understand that, but that's going to end up spreading the virus more. Um, if you can impress upon your people and tell them this is serious, we can't go out, we can't do this. Then we'll be able to flatten that curve, reduce the cases quicker and less people will end up in the hospital and less people will die. Um, if we don't do that, if we can't get people to take it seriously, then there's going to be a world of hurt. And I mean that in the most literal sense I can. Um, and if you can do that, if you can be an advocate for truth and science, um, that's something that we could all use. And I'll give you an example. I took a few days to sit down and look for all this. Um, with, this uh, with this podcast, usually I post a podcast with my students and we talk about the different things so but this one I'm posting a link to a Google document in that document you're gonna see the questions that my kids asked that I tried to answer and kind of a mini script of the things that I wanted to say here I mean I didn't say it exactly but I did try my best and then every link to every article and source that I could find right um, and I want it because I want to make sure that when I'm sharing this information, it's not something that um, is I just found out or I saw it from somebody else's tweet or I saw it on a Facebook link. Right? I want to make sure that the proper information is given. And that's something that we can all do. You know, if you can share information that is correct and right, or if you can correct those that are giving bad information, you know, then you're doing everybody a good service and share the good news, okay? Because this virus is not 100% deadly. It's not like the movies. Um, as of this recording, there's over 300,000 cases. I think it's 308,000. Um, there are 13,000 deaths worldwide, and there are about 95,000 people who have recovered from the virus. So you get, there's those who've gotten sick, they have recovered and they are fine. Um, in the United States right now, we have 26,000 cases um, and unfortunately 46 deaths, okay? And so this is something that people need to know. Um, two weeks ago, it was nowhere near this high. You know, we're now third in the world in cases 
and we're climbing. And that's because of new testing, but you gotta remember there are so many people who will not be tested and this disease will spread, okay? So what I wanna make sure that we understand here is that we are in this together, okay? Um, if you and I talk personally, I promise you I'll be there. You know, I will try to answer questions as best I can. Um, if you want to know more, uh, please make sure you click the link to my Google document. Um, look at the articles I've shared. Uh, look at the research that I have so you understand that I'm not just shooting from the hip and making it up. Um, because my concern is for my own people, but also for everybody else. Because if we can band together in this rough time and the rough times that'll come ahead, and I know it's going to be better. You know, I am. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I made my students laugh the other day because I sent a message out saying, you know, I was going to do this podcast, but I will miss being in front of them. I will miss my class. I will miss all my classes. Um, even those that they think I'm, that they're probably not my favorite. I will miss those classes. I will miss those students. You know? And the irony is in this time of social distancing is when I want to give uh, these kids hugs and tell them that I'm there, you know, because that's not something I normally do, but if I could, I would. Um, but um, this is something that I think we'll, we'll all look back on and be okay with, but we need to be there for each other. Um, we need to make sure that if things get rough, that we do this as a community, both in your local community, you know, for me it's the Rio Grande Valley, um, wherever you may be, and as long as that's something that you're thinking about and that you're willing to um, hold in your, in your mind and your heart, we're all going to be okay. So um, if you have any comments, please leave a comment. Uh, if you can share this, um, if there's anything that you have more questions on, please send me a tweet at B science classes. I'm also on Instagram as well. Um, but you know, please make sure that you, uh, you gather the information. I hope that you're safe, that you're uh, going to be okay. Cause I think we all will be. It's just a matter of, um, us working together. So thanks for listening and I hope uh, you're okay and I hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.